You have been listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church. We invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For more information, visit day3church.com. I said last week, that's, uh, that's hard to watch, uh, I realize. Um, we, of course, did it intentionally. I asked Guy Myers to put together some of the video and the clips, and I uh, actually requested him to use uh, that song. It's a, uh, uh, by the way, sometimes if you wonder if people in our culture are thinking about hope, uh, that's a secular group by the name of Journey on their new CD. And uh, the city of hope is not uh, New York City uh, or Granite Falls, uh, but there is a city of hope called heaven. <clears throat> and uh, I just think it's a kind of strange set of events when you have a secular band like that singing those types of words uh, about, a, about a city of hope. Um, God, I appreciate you putting that uh, together for us. Um, regrettably, today's the 10th anniversary of, uh, of 9-11. A um, lot of reason for us to, uh, you know, have solemn uh, feelings and sadness in our heart because of what happened. At the same time, uh, man, as the, as the band was uh, doing Oh How He Loves Me, uh, you know, I, I thought, I don't care what the world throws my way. Amen? Uh, I'd almost have them come back out and do that song and we'd call it a day. (laughs) Uh, Because that's what we need to know. Uh, But we we do want to do more than that today as we we focus upon uh, hope uh, on an anniversary date like uh, like 9-11. Some stats I told you last week and there's some things I I did not tell you last week. I I really think we need to... uh, go over just to set a, a solid context of, of how serious it is that we're talking about this. Uh, of course, you know, on, on 9-11, 10 years ago, <clears throat> that morning, at different intervals, uh, both the towers, the North and the South Tower, were struck by airplanes that had been hijacked by terrorists. Um, the, uh, the towers stood after the impact respectively for about 56 minutes for one, 102 minutes for the other. Uh, Once the tower started to fall, it took about 12 seconds for it to collapse and implode. Uh, Once that happened, regrettably, uh, the towers were not empty. Uh, They were not as full as they could have been. It was an election day that day, uh, primary day, and some people were late arriving because they had gone to polls to vote. Uh, had they not, there could have been many more thousand people killed than, than, than was killed on that day. Uh, but enough were killed, and you'll see that in just a moment. Uh, during that process, of course, you know, many emergency personnel, uh, police officers, paramedics, firemen, uh, were doing all that they could to try and rescue people. And many of them uh, lost their lives. Of course, the Pentagon was hit by an airplane. Another airplane was in the sky that would have, you know, been doing damage somewhere. A lot of speculation exactly where it was going. But uh, United Airlines Flight 93, because of some uh, heroes on board, uh, that airplane went down in a field in Pennsylvania uh, instead of making it to uh, any location. Uh, Some stats that I'm going to bring up on the screen, we'll just cover quickly to help us understand uh, the, the seriousness, the, the, the enormity of what happened to our nation uh, on that day. But uh, over 2,900 people were killed. 
the greatest number uh, as far as in ages, the age bracket uh, would be age 35 to 39. Uh, nationalities that were represented there, uh, 115 different nationalities lost people. Number who lost a spouse, 1,609. Children that lost at least one parent, 3,051. Children who were orphaned, 1,300. Percentage of Americans who knew someone hurt or killed, 20% of Americans knew someone. Units of blood that were donated, <clears throat> over 36,000 units of blood. Bodies intact, only 289. Body parts found, 19,858. Number of families not receiving any remains, 1,171 families. Some other statistics, emergency personnel, firefighters, paramedics killed 343. New York police officers killed 23. Port Authority police officers killed 37. Firefighters on leave for respiratory problems by January 2002, over 300. Fire department vehicles destroyed that day, 98 vehicles. Uh, I want to stop before we read on about the economic loss. And um, if, if you are currently involved in any of those emergency uh, services, as a, a fireman, whether it be volunteer or full-time, uh, whether it be you know, in law enforcement, paramedic, whatever. If you're currently involved in that in some way, would you stand just for a moment and remain standing until I ask you to sit down? How about people who have served in that capacity as a police officer? That's why I'm wearing this today. I have, uh, or you know, a fireman or a paramedic in the past, would you stand? Any people who are currently or have served in our armed forces in our nation, would you stand? Would you help me as we honor these for a moment? Thank you guys for what you do, or what you have done. <clears throat> Economic loss of trade center companies that lost employees to death were 60 companies. Number of employees who died in Tower 1, 1,402. In Tower 2, 614. Jobs lost immediately as a result of this in New York City, 146,100. Tons of debris to remove. Over 1,500,000 days of fires continued burning, 99 days before they were able to get down into the rubble and get all of the small fires that were out. Cost of cleanup, $600 million plus. Economic loss to New York in the first month was $105 billion. Total FEMA money spent, $970 million. Donations to charities, $1.4 billion. Insurance paid out worldwide, 
$40.2 billion. The overhaul of the lower Manhattan subways as a result of it, $7.5 billion. More statistics involved emotional impacts. Americans changed their 2001 holiday travel plan from a plane, it should say, to a train or a car. Uh, 1.4 million people decided not to fly that holiday season. Estimated number of New Yorkers who were suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder, 422,000 people as a result of what took place. <clears throat> That's why we're doing this series and why we gave you, if you did not receive one of these on the way in, please grab one on the way out the door. It's a little booklet, our, our gift to you, and, and we're counting this service, giving one per couple. If we've got more left over, we'll let you know next week. We want to be sure we have enough for everybody in the next service in case we have guests. But the title of the book is Never Forget uh, Dot 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 Hope. Uh, brought out by Thomas Nelson uh, Publishing, of course, a Bible publishing company. Uh, it's got uh, writings in it by Billy Graham, uh, also by his uh, daughter, Anna Graham Lutz, uh, Max Licato, uh, Charles Stanley, others that are there. Uh, and it's a little book that focuses upon hope. It says, never forget, as I said last week, dot, 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 hope, because I don't think we have a problem with the first part, do we? Never forget it when somebody does us wrong. We tend in our flesh to be able to remember and hold on to that. And it's like today, especially on this 10th anniversary, everyone in America does not have any problem remembering what happened. You know, and almost having this attitude, we're not going to forget what you did to us. You know, that's kind of, and, and, and you might be wondering, someone might, might think, you see, I'm, I'm weird, I'm sorry if you don't like this, because you think, well, you're a pastor, I, I know I am, you know. I'm also an American. I also spent 10 years in law enforcement, you know. Am I glad that they got Osama? I celebrated the day they got him, okay? Uh, but I'll tell you what, that's not why I've got hope. It's easy for us to hold things and say, I'm not going to forget what somebody's done to me. But the point of this series that we're doing just for these two weeks, the point of the book that we gave you is that what we never, ever need to forget is hope. Last week, we focused on the very name of hope, and of course, that's Jesus. And the Bible told us there in Matthew 12, 21, in His name will be the hope of all the world. Today, what we're going to focus upon is this, rejoicing in hope. That's our theme, our topic today. The, the fact that you and I can rejoice in hope, not just in good times, but in bad times. We can rejoice not just about something that is great and pleasing and lovely to think about in our lives, we can also rejoice as Christians. If you know Christ is your Savior, you have the capacity, whether you have enjoyed it or not, whether you have strived for it or turned that capacity on or not, you've got a rejoicing knob in your life, a switch in your life that can be turned on if you're a Christian, even though you are going through difficulties like 9-11, tragedies in your life like 9-11. Listen to what Paul writes here in Romans. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 6. I'll say something about verse 6 near the end. But uh, it says, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That's good stuff. Okay, 
But it goes on and says, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Next slide. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And as we look at, at this passage of Scripture this morning, we're pretty much going to hang out there until right at the end. I'm going to read a, another text right at the end, just before we close. But we're pretty much going to hang out in these six verses and just break them down. And as we do so, I want us to be trying to answer this question, how can we as believers rejoice in hope? Even in bad times, not just good times, even in tragedies like 9-11, how can we rejoice in hope? Here's answer number one to that question. Answer number one is this. The followers of Christ can rejoice eternally in their salvation. That's the good part of the text I read a moment ago. You and I, if you know Christ as your Savior, if you don't, you can get that fixed today before you leave this service. But if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you as being a follower of Christ can rejoice eternally, forever and ever. No matter what the situation, no matter what the circumstances, you can rejoice eternally in your salvation. Look at these two verses again. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We'll read over things like that word, therefore, not really think about what it's there for. And the word really means this, it means accordingly. And when Paul writes the word, therefore, he's pointing back to everything that he's just written about in the book of Romans. He's pointing back to the point of Romans where he's telling us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we can't save ourselves by good works. We cannot save ourselves by obeying the law. That wasn't even why the law was given anyway. It was given to show us how far short we fall, how much of a sinner we are, how much we stand in need of God's grace. That's why the law was given. We can't save ourselves by good works. He even used Abraham as an illustration of that. Because, you see, Abraham had to be saved by grace. The law had not even been given yet on top of, on top of Mount Sinai through Moses. What happened in Abraham's life was this. The Bible tells us Abraham believed God, and because he believed God, it was counted to him for righteousness. So that's what he's just talked about. The fact that we're sinners, we cannot save ourselves. Therefore, in light of that, he says that we've been justified by faith. So, so let's look at everything that he's telling us right there in, in, in these two verses for a moment to see why you and I can rejoice in hope. Therefore, we can rejoice in hope because we know we've been saved by faith through grace. It's not of works, it's not by ourselves, but we can rejoice because we know we're saved. What all does that mean? First of all, back up please. First of all, you can rejoice because you're justified by faith. You can rejoice because you're justified by faith. He said, therefore, since we have been justified by faith. That's one reason, as a believer this morning, you ought to be able to rejoice in spite of 9-11, in spite of anything else that might strike your life. You ought to be able to rejoice if you're a Christian because you know you've been justified by faith. Now, what does he mean by that? The word justified 
means to render just. It doesn't mean that you're just. It means to, to be accounted just or innocent. It doesn't mean that we're innocent because none of us are. What did I just say Paul had written about? He said, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us are sinners. Justified, being justified by God's grace, the word of justification does not mean that we are innocent. It doesn't mean that we are just. Here's what it means. It means because of what Jesus did on the cross, and by faith we've trusted in Him, God looks at us and He says, I'm going to call you righteous even though you're not. I'm going to call you sinless even though you're not. I'm going to call you righteous even though you are not. You're a sinner. You can't save yourself. But because of what my son did for you on the cross, and because of your faith in him, I'm going to account, as far as I'm concerned, God is saying, that you have never, ever sinned. That's what it means to be justified. You got to re- Is that not enough reason for us to rejoice this morning? Now, if it's not for you, maybe you're not being honest with who you are and where you've been and, you know, and your sin and the fact that there's a real hell, you know, and, and things like that. My goodness, we ought to be able to rejoice to the top of our lungs this morning because we know as the followers of Christ, those of us that have trusted Christ as our Savior, we know that we're justified. As far as God is concerned, it's like we have never ever sin and it does not happen by us trying to work it off it happens by our faith in what he did for us on the cross when he says by faith it's really two words there that i just combined into one definition by means from the origin of and then faith means being persuaded or from the origin of that's what the word by means trusting in christ the origin of you and i Being justified, the basis of you and I being justified, the foundation of us being justified, God saying, I look at you as though you've never sinned, is because we have placed faith in Jesus Christ. And because of that this morning, we ought to rejoice because we've trusted in the finished work of Jesus. We can also rejoice for this reason. As a result of being justified, here's the second thing he tells us here. We have peace with God. He said, because you've been justified by faith, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What, what does that mean when he tells us that we have peace with God? The, the word for have literally means to hold. You know, it's yours. You, as a Christian, if you know Christ is your Savior right now this morning, you hold, you have as a personal possession in your life, peace with God. The word peace means to join together what was separated. Because you and I, because of being sinners, we were separated from a holy God. And yet because of what Jesus did for us, dying on the cross, shedding His blood, and by faith in Him, we receive Him by faith, that makes us justified, that brings us back together where we once were separated with God. We're now at peace with God. In that, in that idea of being with God, it, it literally means toward in the direction of or pertaining to God. But, but here's a way to think of it. it. It's literally like you're face-to-face with God. Now, see, that can be a scary thing. huh? Think about it. You know who you are. You know the thoughts that you have. You, you know what you've done in your life. And the very thought of being face-to-face with God and Him being completely, perfectly holy ought to kind of shake you up just a little bit. But because 
we know what Jesus has done for us. We know in whom we believe and that he said it is finished. He's done everything necessary for our salvation. And by faith, we have believed in him. We now have peace with God to the degree that we can stand face to face with God and not fear him. We can be face to face with God. And that ought to help us understand today we've got reasons for hope in spite of whatever might happen. Why can we stand face to face with God? Through, it says, the Lord Jesus Christ. The word through literally means the channel of the act. He's the pathway. He's the way that you can stand before God with peace, being joined back together. Because Jesus The Lord Jesus Christ, the word Lord means supreme in authority. His name, as we talked about it last week, means Jehovah saved or Jesus' salvation. Christ is not his last name, it's his title. It means he's the anointed one, the Messiah that is promised. Because we have trusted in him. Because he came and did for us what he did on the cross. We can have peace with God. And the fact that you and I this morning have peace with God, we ought to be able to rejoice in hope. No matter what the world slings our way. See, it doesn't matter how many 9-11s happen. They can fly an airplane into this building right now while we're seated here. Guess what? Doesn't change my hope. I know where I'm going. Amen? We, We can hold on to hope no matter what it is we're facing in life. And we ought to rejoice. He says we ought to rejoice because we are at peace with God. Because we've been justified with God. We ought to be able to rejoice because of that. Think about celebrations that happen after wars are over with. Now, you know, I, I wasn't around. I want to just go ahead and qualify that. I'm not that old, okay? But I have seen a lot of the videos. You ever seen the videos when, you know, in the streets when they announced the war was over during World War II? You ever seen some of that? Man, they're, you know, they're celebrating. And, you know, the soldiers, they got, they got one video that's really famous of this kiss that happened, you know, between a sailor and a... And a lady there, I think, on the streets of New York, they're, they're just celebrating. You know, they're you know, waving flags, jumping up and down, celebrating. You know, that ought to be the way we are because of what Jesus did for us. Man, we ought to celebrate. We ought to be dancing in the streets because of what Jesus has done for us. And understand that through Him, we have peace with God. And because you and I have peace with God, we can rejoice in hope no matter what the world throws our way, no matter what our circumstances in life might be. Thirdly, we can rejoice because we eternally stand in grace. We eternally stand in grace. The the main thought that we're talking about here is that the followers of Christ can eternally rejoice in their salvation. Here's why. Through Him, talking about Jesus again, we have also obtained access By faith, not by works, but it's by our faith. Into this grace, talking about God's grace, in which we, notice this, stand. Now, for you to get the full impact of that, you need to see what the Greek tells us. And that's the original language the New Testament was written in. God chose it, I didn't. He chose it, and I think there's reasons for that. Because the the Greek is a very expressive language. Look, Look at what some of the words mean that's used here. He says through him, and we've already seen that word. It denotes the channel of that, going through Jesus. He's the access point. He's the door. Through him, we have access. We, we have admission. Now, in the Greek, 
this word is in the perfect tense. The word access is in the perfect tense. Which means this. It means those who believe in Jesus Christ have permanent access. It doesn't ever go away. It's not like you have access for a little while because you've trusted in Jesus and somehow it dissipates. It is an eternal, everlasting access that we have by faith from the origin, being persuaded that what Jesus did for us is what needed to take place. We trust in Him, not ourselves. We have access by faith to this grace. It means just God being gracious to us. It, it was gratifying from God's viewpoint to be gracious. It's gratifying from our viewpoint to be gracious. It, it, the word also means acceptable. It's not something that we earn or deserve. It's God saying, because of what my son did for you on the cross, and when you believe in him, I will accept you. It means that, that we can't earn it, we don't deserve it. A good way to understand what grace means when you think about God's amazing grace is that it's the unmerited favor of God. There's not one thing you or I can do to earn it or deserve it. And to be honest with you, that's a huge point because I'm afraid there are people that come to church all the time, Sundays in and Sundays out, that will come to church and they know that Jesus died on the cross, they know who Jesus is and things like that, and they know that Jesus is supposed to pay the price for their sins. But even though they know all that, and maybe even say they believe all that in their heart, somehow they're still holding on to something they think they can do. And as long as you think you're holding on to something that you can do, you have perverted the gospel, and it has no power, and it has no efficacy or no saving power for you until you come to the point that you fully understand you cannot do one thing thing to save yourself it's all the unmerited favor of God it's all the grace of God and we have to rest in that and quit trying to save ourselves he tells us that we have this permanent access by faith into God's grace in which we stand that phrase in which denotes a fixed position the word stand also denotes a fixed position. It means to stand eternally. The word was also used like this. It was used in that day and time. This Greek word was used in that day and time to describe a haven or, an, or a harbor. Like, like a, a landing place of rest for a ship. In other words, the ship is out to sea. And there might be dangers of a storm and things like that. So what they do with ships... When there's a danger of that, a lot of times they'll try and find a safe haven or a safe harbor to where they can bring the ship in and park the ship. Apply that to us for a moment in Christ. Jesus Christ is our safe haven. Jesus Christ is our safe harbor. And we stand in Him permanently. It doesn't matter what the world sends your way. It doesn't matter what terrorism may bring into our nation or across this world. That does not change for one iota of a second, if you're a Christian, the relationship that you have with an eternal God. And that means that you ought to have hope and rejoice in hope because you understand you eternally stand 
in God's grace. Jesus is the access point to where you eternally stand, no matter what comes your way in life. We can also rejoice for this reason, because you have hope in the glory of God. Paul went on writing there, and he said, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The word rejoice means to, to vault, to celebrate, to even glory is what it means. It, it, the word hope is not a, you know, it doesn't mean like we say, I hope so sometimes. I hope this will happen. That's not what it means. The word hope that's used here in the Greek means to anticipate with pleasure. It talks about a confident expectation of something that you know without any doubt is going to happen. That's what he means. It's not saying, I hope, you know, one day I'll go to glory. I hope one day I'll be in heaven. That's not what it means at all. It means you know so because what Jesus did on the cross for you. You know it without any doubt. I've had people tell me before, how can you know till you die? I, I've got some, you know, kind of, if that's what you think, how can you know till you die? I've got some bad news for you. After you die, it's too late to change it. How can you know before you die? Here's how, because God told you in His Word and God's not a liar. That's how. You hold on to what God tells you. That whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, not might shall be saved, but will be saved, shall be saved. You hold on to His Word in the promises that He gives you. And the word glory means very apparent. It's talking about God's glory. It's really used in the Bible a lot of times to talk about heaven. So here's the deal with all that. Everything that Paul's kindly said up to this point is that because of what Christ has done for us, we're justified by faith, it's not by works. We have peace with God because we've been made just like we've never sinned. As far as God's concerned, that means we can have peace with the holy God. We eternally stand, not just for a little while, but once you receive Christ as your Savior, you eternally stand in God's grace. And because of that, you have hope of heaven, hope in the glory of God. And because of all those things, we ought to be able to rejoice in hope, no matter what the world sends our way. Now, all that's great stuff. And all of you that really know Christ as your Savior and you understand all those doctrinal things that I've just talked about, that ought to bless your soul. You ought to be sitting there thinking, yeah, I should, yeah, because of that, because, yeah, all that, yeah, I ought to rejoice in hope because of all those things. Next part gets a little bit more challenging, but it's as true as the first part. Answer number two is this, how can we rejoice even when we're thinking about things like 9-11? We're facing tragedies and difficulties in our life. Yes, we can rejoice because of our eternal salvation. But as followers of Christ, we can also rejoice even in our suffering. Even in our suffering. Now, that's the part that you might be thinking, uh, you know? All the stuff I just told you doctrinally about Jesus and how you can rejoice. If you know Christ as your Savior, it's like, yeah, I'm ready to rejoice in all that. But now Paul says this, more than that. What does he mean? More than that means more than just everything you talked about. More than just knowing you're justified by faith. More than just knowing you have peace with God because of what Jesus did on the cross for you. More than just knowing you have hope in the glory of God. More than just knowing you eternally stand in the grace of God. More than just that. He says we rejoice in our sufferings. 
knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Think about that for a minute. He's telling us, yeah, you can rejoice in your salvation. That ought to be the easy thing to do, right? I mean, somebody knows Christ who can't rejoice in knowing that. I mean, I'm a sinner. I deserve to spend eternity in hell, but because of what Jesus did for me, God looks at me just like I have never, ever sinned, and I have permanent access to Him. I stand in God's grace. I've got a confident expectation of heaven. Man, who can't rejoice in that? <laughs> but now he tells us as a follower of Christ, we can rejoice in sufferings also. Hmm. Might not seem like that's going to be as much fun to talk about. But it's really needful to talk about because you see, in the midst of something like 9-11, you might not be just thinking about Rejoicing in your salvation. Because in the midst of tragedy coming into your life and you're dealing with pain and sorrow in your life, you need to also know in the middle of that, right when that happens, matter of fact, even because it's happening, you ought to be able to rejoice even in suffering. Look at at that in two ways. Why? First of all, let's ask this question. Why? Why can we rejoice in sufferings? He, he says more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Why, why is that true? Why can we rejoice in sufferings? Well, look at some more words that's used here. The word rejoice, same word we saw a minute ago, means to boast of all to glory. In other words, he's using the same word about rejoicing in our salvation, rejoicing in the hope that we have of eternal glory. Uses the exact same word now about rejoicing in our suffering. We, we can, can boast or vaunt or glory in our suffering. The word in means in a fixed position. See, you might not like that. You, you might be thinking, I rejoice when I get out of my suffering. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying right in the middle, right in a fixed position of suffering, if you know Christ is your Savior, you can still rejoice. And the word that he's using there and the way that's phrased in the Greek, the rejoicing doesn't just mean maybe in tribulation or in suffering, but you can rejoice literally because of the tribulation and because of the suffering. Now, you may be thinking, why? You see, in in other words, he's kind of saying this. It's not just that as you're going through suffering, you sit there and you start contemplating, you start thinking about your salvation, and you start thinking about you know, Jesus and what he did for you, and he suffered for you, so you ought to be willing to suffer for him. So in the middle of your suffering, you decide to suffer. He's really kind of putting it like this, on the front end of it. When the suffering first happens, you ought to be able to rejoice even that you're having the opportunity to suffer. Our flesh doesn't like that at all, does it? I ought to be happy on the front end of suffering, that I've got the opportunity to suffer? Why in the world would I be happy? Well, because of what Paul's about to tell us, suffering, you see, here's the deal. God is not a mean God. You understand that? God's not, he will not let you go through suffering just trying to be mean to you or trying to hurt you. 
He always, always, always has your benefit, your ultimate benefit in mind. And that might be honing away some stuff you don't want out of your life, you know, that you're holding on to you shouldn't. But here's the deal. He's wanting to make you, through suffering, to be more and more like Jesus. So that means I can celebrate and rejoice even on the front end of suffering or tribulation when it comes into my life because I understand up front God is about to do something. You understand that? God is about to work on my life. God, not in a negative way, even though we're talking about suffering, God, through the suffering, in a positive way, is going to do some good stuff in my life or your life when we get ready and we're going through suffering. That's what the phrase means here. It's talking about, it's almost like he he gives us a spiritual formula or an equation, you know, in math. You know, now that might, I probably just ruined the rest of the message because most of you probably think, I hated math. I did too, you know. But, but, it, but it's, it's like he gives you a, 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 a spiritual equation a, a little bit here, helping us to understand there's like one plus one equals two, you know. Uh, there, there's going to be some things that Paul's going to add up for us. There's a spiritual equation here that has a positive progression in our life as we go through suffering. And if we'll see what he's saying here, it'll help us understand that as we are going through suffering, there's some some neat stuff that's happening. And that's why we can rejoice. Okay? Let's look at what Paul tells us. Suffering produces, first of all, endurance in our lives. Suffering produces produces endurance. Some translations say patience, so I put the word up there also. Paul said knowing that suffering produces endurance. Now, to help us understand that, let's look at what he's saying again. Knowing literally means you see it clearly. I mean, you know up front. That's why you can rejoice. You know up front that, that suffering or tribulation and the Greek word is philthus, which means pressure or a pressing. It's built on a root word that means to crowd. The, the word was also used to describe a trabellum sled, was the name of it in that day and time, which was a sled of heavy beams of wood, sometimes with spikes coming out of it, wooden spikes or metal spikes. And they would drag that across grain. And as they would drag that heavy sled across the grain, the pressure and the friction taking place would separate the edible part of the grain from what was called the chaff, the part you didn't want to eat, you know. If you ate the chaff, you'd have way more fiber in your diet than you'd really want. So, so, so they would separate it out. So that something beneficial would happen. The grain that was there wasn't edible just like it was. The pressure did something positive to where the grain could actually become food for somebody. Now, I think that's what the Holy Spirit had in mind here. He has Paul to use this word to describe suffering or tribulation in our lives because that's what God is doing with suffering and tribulation. It's like, it, it's like the pressure of the tribulation, the pressure 
of the suffering. It's, it's like it's separating some things out of our lives. The stuff that's unusable from the stuff that's usable. The stuff that's not any good for anybody and in, in where, where that you know, starts to go away, the, the suffering and the tribulation pulls those things out of our lives and, and it makes us more and more like Jesus because in the midst of suffering, I don't know if you've ever figured this out or not, when you're having a good time in your life, you don't nearly think about Jesus as much as you do when you're having a bad time. Amen? So when you're going through suffering and tribulation in your life and your mind is focused more upon Him, guess what's happening? That pressure and that tribulation is causing you to focus more upon God, your relationship with God, so there's a positive thing taking place in your life. That's what He's telling us that suffering literally does. We know that suffering is doing that for us. It produces, it fully works, it accomplishes, it finishes, it's generating or manufacturing something in our lives. Suffering produces, and then he uses this word endurance. It's a cheerful, hopeful endurance or patience is what it is. It means a, a patient continuance or waiting, a steadfastness. Now, you probably won't like the root word that it comes from. The root word that it comes from in the Greek means to stay under or remain under trials, to undergo or bear trials, to have fortitude and perseverance. In other words, it's the exact opposite of what we want to do. What do you want to do when suffering comes? You want it done and over with, right? Right? What do you want to do when pressure hits your life, when tribulation hits your life? Typically, because we're human beings, we think, I want to run out from under this. I want to get away from the pressure. When instead, God wants us to stay under it because He sent it for a purpose. He sent it to produce something in our lives. And by staying under that pressure, And in the midst of it, as we stay under it, and we stay focused upon Him, and we're trusting in Him, it develops spiritual fortitude or perseverance in our lives. I mean, it's almost like the... I'm trying to think how to illustrate it, because I didn't really illustrate it while I was studying this week. Uh, it's, it, it, it's, it's almost like maybe some stuff I've been having to go through. I mean, most of you know, unless it's your first week here, about three months ago I was told that, that I had diabetes. So it was kind of like a wake-up call uh, on things. So, uh, you know, the doctor told me to change my diet, uh, to try the South Beach diet for a while and to start working out and things like that. And I used to work out a lot. My problem is when I, when I would work out, I'd get in a routine of it. And then all of a sudden, you know, my routine changes because of, of surgeries or things like that, you know, out of control. And then I get out of the routine for a few days, and first thing I know, it's down the tubes, you know, like that. So uh, I kind of had to tell our leadership team, you know, and, and they were fully supportive because of this, that I'm going to have to segment off the time that I'm going to focus to do this no matter what. Has it been fun? No. <laughs> it's not been fun. There's stuff I would really, really, really like to eat. I'm telling you there is, you know? And, uh, and, and, and like getting on, the, uh, you know, getting on this, this Nordtrack skier that, that I bought. I, I've gone crazy over those things. I found a second one last week over here across the road at the Salvation Army. It sold for $5.99 new. I walked in and, and I looked at the price and I thought, I, you know, 15 bucks. I bought it. 
So I've got two of them sitting at the house. I've got to get my wife on one, me on one, you know, teach her how to use it. But, but I'm telling you, you get on that thing for about 25 minutes, it is not fun, okay? And, and, and it's easy as, as, I'm, as I'm there doing it because there's, you know, I'm showing my pulse and, you know, calories burn and, and, and you know, how far I've gone and, and the time. And, and I kind of have to do this, guys. I kind of have to leave it on the pulse and not look at the time too much because if I start looking at the time, it can get discouraging. And I think, ah, you know, I, I, I thought it was 25 minutes 10 minutes ago, you know, and that's 24 minutes, you know. And, and, and that discourages you to where you kind of want to stop. But, but I, you know, but I, I, I kind of keep going with it. Now, now you know, I, I'm not trying to break on me. I couldn't have done it if you guys hadn't been praying for me probably and everything. But I, I've lost like 36.2 pounds in three months and, uh, and, and things like that. But what I'm telling you, even though I got positive results out of it, I'm telling you it wasn't fun, okay? That, that's what I'm trying to tell you in this, I guess, trying to illustrate. It is not fun staying underneath the pressure. It is not fun staying underneath the suffering, but we need to do it because there's a positive return, a positive benefit, and part of it is it gives us spiritual endurance. In other words, the next time suffering comes, we've already endured it before. We've got a history of it. God got me through the last time. Thank God he can get me through it the next time. You understand what I'm saying? Look at the next slide. The endurance, on the other hand, like I said, it's just like this spiritual formula he's got going for us. The endurance produces character. It says, and, and endurance produces character. So the word I just talked about, endurance, let's look at that same word. So I'm not going to go through all that again. It just simply means to stay underneath the pressure. It's producing something. It's fully working out something in your life. It is bringing about character in your life. The word that's translated character means tested and by implication there, it means kind of a trustiness or a trustworthiness. It, it talks about you having an experience or, or proof. The root word means acceptable or approved by being tried or tested. So, so here's the deal with that, I think, that God is saying. When we are going through suffering, if we'll stay underneath the suffering, if we'll stay underneath the tribulation, here's a way that's starting to work out. It gives you spiritual fortitude, and in turn, that spiritual fortitude proves to you because you've also proved to God that you're willing to keep with Him no matter what you're facing. You understand what I'm saying? You're willing to keep trusting in Him just to stay under the pressure that you might be facing in life and you're willing to stay there and keep focusing upon Him and by doing so that develops your Christian character. You have been tested in other words. See, so somebody doesn't really know how they're going to respond in a situation until they've been tested. When, when I went through, since we're kind of talking about you know, emergency personnel and something like that today, and we honor them, when I went through law enforcement training, it's one thing to go through it in a classroom, but you don't know how that works out until you're tested in it out on the field, you know? One thing to see a, a picture of blood and guts is another thing to be there in the blood and guts in, in what's taking place. So, so, as, you know, so as you go through that, you're tested, and it kind of proves, hey, I can do this. That's the way it is with you and I, our relationship to Christ. When suffering comes into our lives, instead of fleeing from it, there's a positive result that happens. We ought to be able to rejoice even in the fact that we're suffering, because through that suffering, 
we're getting spiritual fortitude in our lives that will also develop Christian character in our lives to where we've got this experience of having gone through it with God and that helps us in future events when they come. Look at the next slide. And that character that we're talking about, that proven Christian character does this. It produces hope. So, so the words that are used, same word, I want to talk about character because we just talked about it. Produces, same word we've been looking at. It works fully, it accomplishes, it finishes or it fashions hope in our lives to anticipate with pleasure, a confident expectation. Now, you know, here's the formula. Are you following the formula? Suffering comes. We rejoice on the front end of it. Because the very fact that we're suffering as Christians lets us know that God's at work in our lives. He's going to do something positive. Might not feel like it, but He's going to do something positive. See, it's easy to rejoice in our salvation. That was our first point today. The tough thing is to rejoice in suffering. And we need to be able to do that too. If not, you'll become despondent in life. When things aren't going your way, when surprises hit, when tragedies hit, when there's a bump or curve in the road you weren't anticipating. So here's what it's doing. That suffering's producing endurance in your life, spiritual fortitude. That spiritual fortitude is developing character in your life, experience where you're proven now that you can make it through things with your relationship with Christ. And because of that, now you have hope. You have a confident expectation. So the next time junk comes, the next time, God forbid, there's a 9-11 in your life, the next time there's some type of tragedy that hits your life, because you have learned that God is faithful, that God is not trying to be mean to you, that God is trying to be good to you, He's trying to glorify Himself in the midst of what you're facing, He's bringing about something positive in your life. So now you've got hope. Hope the next time trials come, but you also have hope in this. You have hope in the fact that you're really a Christian. You have a confident expectation that you're authentic because your relationship with Christ got you through it. You made it through to the other side. And the Bible tells us that that hope will not disappoint us. The hope that's developed in our life as a result of going through suffering does not is an absolute negative in the Greek. It will never, ever put us to shame, will not dishonor us, will not disgrace us, will not make us blush. A lot of things we trust in will do that, but we will never, ever, ever, ever feel any shame or regret from having trusted in God as we go through the tragedies of life. That's why we can rejoice even in suffering. How does that flesh out? We're about out of time. I'm going to have to give you the highlights of it. How does that flesh out? He said, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. We can rejoice in sufferings, first of all, because God's love has been poured into our heart. That's the love that we don't deserve. That's the God kind of love. It's God's love benevolently that's given to us. He is taking us through suffering, like I said, not to be hurtful to us, but it's not a negative thing. It's a positive goal that God has in mind. It's for our benefit to make us more like Jesus. It's to bring more glory to Him. And the way it happens is this. God's love has been poured into our hearts. And that word poured literally means to gush out. When you look at everything else that it means there, it's like He's poured His love into our heart to the point that it overflows. And it gushes out. And He's poured it there in a fixed position. What does that mean? That means no matter what I'm going through, I know He always loves me. 
Let 9-11s come. God loves me. Van, I want to thank you guys again for singing that, you know, David Crowder song this morning. I needed to hear that, you know. Good thing y'all didn't have a, well, maybe you should have had one. I started saying, good thing you didn't have a video. I, I was celebrating all by myself back there behind the wall in the back corner. Maybe I should have had on video. You know, look at the pastor making an idiot of himself. Hey, I'm not making an idiot of myself as long as I'm rejoicing because he loves me. Secondly, we can rejoice in sufferings because we've been given the Holy Spirit. It says through, that means the channel of the act, what we saw a minute ago. See, the Holy Spirit equips us to face suffering. The Holy Spirit comforts us when we face suffering. The Holy Spirit reminds us of what Jesus has done for us in the midst of suffering. He suffered for us. We ought to be willing to suffer for Him. The Holy Spirit permanently is with us forever and ever and ever in us as believers. So we're never, ever alone, no matter what you're going through. The Holy Spirit is there, and you can rejoice even in the midst of suffering. So today, it's the 10th anniversary of 9-11. Today's a day that probably a lot of people will have some uh, bad memories. Some people will have fond memories because of, uh, of rescue efforts that saved their lives and, uh, and things like that today. But we ought to never forget hope. That's what this series has been about. Short series, just for two weeks. But we need to never, ever forget hope. We need to always hold on to the hope that we have. This morning, if you don't have hope in Christ, then that's something maybe you need to deal with before you leave today. Because you can have an eternal hope like I've talked about. It's not based upon you and your good works. It's based upon the finished work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. You can have an eternal, everlasting, fixed position standing in God's grace that never, ever goes away and never, ever changes. And because of that, you can have Hope. You can celebrate and rejoice eternally because of your salvation, but we can also rejoice even when we are suffering because it's through suffering. God is going to do something great, positive in our lives. Hey, not just your life and the life of somebody else. You realize you can get other people's attention. God can use you to get the attention of somebody else more when you're suffering than when you're going through something great. Because it's when you're going through great, the people around you think, well, sure, you know. Oh, they're a Christian. They've got plenty of money. They've got their job. You know, they've got their hell. But sure, they ought to be rejoicing. It's when you're going through hell by the acre. And you rejoice anyway. That's what gets the attention of people around you. In your life. In your sphere of influence that you have. In your life when they see you rejoice then. I say verse 6 until now. Verse 6 says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. We cannot save ourselves. It was impossible for us to save ourselves. At the right time, at the appointed time, at the God-appointed time in history, Jesus died, not because we deserved it, not because we were pretty and godly and we were worshiping Him and doing everything He wanted us to do. He died for the ungodly. That's who we were. He died for the ungodly at just the right time. This past week, there's a documentary that was shown on one of the cable channels. I think it was the Discovery Channel. That was uh, in, entitled uh, Heroes of the 88th Floor. <laughs> if they run that again, you need to watch it. You get a chance to watch it. A lot of stories there. Told about people that were trapped up. Uh, in the 88th floor, doors jammed because of the way the foundation had kind of given away. 
couldn't get the doors open in their office, some people trapped in elevators and you know, trapped in the smoke and things like that, not being able to find their way out. And there were several people that were doing heroic things, trying to lead people out, trying to rescue people. But a lot of the documentary focused on two men. There's a construction manager by the name of Frank Del Martini and a construction inspector by the name of Pablo Ortez. They saved 77 people themselves before the tower fell. They were up there just doing what they thought was their job. And they heard some man beating on an elevator, screaming on the elevator, trapped in the elevator. They got the door open, let him out. He's alive today. There's a group of people in the offices up there that could not get out. And they kept going from office to office and getting doors pried open and, and, and freeing people. And as they were pointing people the way down and asking people to help those that were hurt and things like that to get down, these two men kept going up. The tower fell while they were still going up. They've never found one bit of evidence of their bodies anywhere. Just like they vanished. But I can tell you 77 people that knew they were real. You see, my point is this. Those people were there waiting, screaming, wondering what was going to happen. And at just the right time, those two men showed up. And at just the right time, Jesus showed up and went to the cross and died for our sins. So that at just the right time, before judgment would fall on us, we could be saved. And because of that, we ought to celebrate and rejoice. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior, I invite you this morning, please, to come and trust in Him. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, Lord, I, I pray that, uh, God, you help today to be a day of reflection. God, help us to honor heroes like the two men we just talked about. But God, especially help us that we honor the main hero, that's Jesus Christ. That we honor him. And exalt Him. It's because of what Jesus did for us that we can rejoice today. No matter what comes our way in life, for those of us that know Christ, we can rejoice because of our eternal salvation. And it's also because of Him that we can rejoice, even when going through suffering, because we know you're doing it for our good and for your glory. So, Father, we thank you that you came by our lives in Jesus at just the right time. And Father, if there's someone here today that does not know Christ, I pray right now will be just their right time. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Before the band sings, I want to show you uh, two more verses of Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 89. Paul wrote these words, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. Paul talking about himself. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But will you notice what he said last? But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Amen? Huh? That's what the difficult junk does. 
That's what the 9-11s ought to do for us. That's what the tragedy that you face in your life ought to do. You don't rely on yourself. You rely on the one that raises the dead. And you say, thank God, no matter what, I'll make it through this. If you need Christ as your Savior, why not come as a band sings? Maybe you just need to slip up here and thank Him that just the right time He saved you. Maybe you need to come and pray for families today in our nation that are reliving something that happened to their loved ones. Maybe you need to come and pray for the safety of people who serve us here in this community. God speaks to your heart. We invite you to come. You are listening to Sermon Audio from Dathan Church. If you have any questions about God, faith, or our church, email us at info at dayfreechurch.com. And for more information, find us on the web at dayfreechurch.com.